This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful, human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. This episode is brought to you by the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Sometimes everything just clicks. Like when your favorite song comes on at just the right time. When there's two tickets left for the show. When everyone in the crew can agree on what album to listen to. When everything just feels right. That's the feeling of the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Available with all-wheel drive, Qi wireless charging, and advanced JBL sound system. It's everything you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Learn more at toyota.com. Good. Ooh, no, that one was, <laughs> that one was bad. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> what happened? My throat cracked or something. It, it definitely like had like a, I don't know. I guess it's like spill or something. Maybe <laughs> that might be my favorite one so far. Yeah, third puberty. <laughs> third, third puberty. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, guys, to Honey Hole Hangout. Uh, we are the collaboration of. Four outdoorsmen who somehow afforded podcast equipment and figured out how to release content on the internet. These are our stories, opinions, and perceptions of outdoor pursuits in the sporting world. Uh, we are here today with me, Landon. We have Zach. Yep. We have Cliff. Hello. And we have our good friend, Chase. Hey there. So, Chase, give us a little like a preview of what you do and what we're going to talk about later. Well, I uh, I tie a lot of flies. I do as much fishing as I can, but uh, honestly, Landon kind of helped me get started in it, and it's kind of spiraled to where we're at today. But but you're a full time fly tire. Yeah, yeah. Now I am. Yeah, and uh, you have the best business name that I think ever personally. Yeah, my buddy Robbie came up with it. Did, that, did he? Okay. Yeah, fish chase flies. So. He put my name in the middle of it, and we had to stick with it. Yeah, no, hey, it's, it's perfect. perfect. <laughs> it's, there's, like, not a better not a better business name than that. Uh, so we'll roll right into uh, whiskey. Chase, do you, are you a whiskey drinker? Fan? Not, not very often. Not very often. No, if I do, I usually put it in something else. So. Yeah. Okay, so we have uh, – this is actually a very nice whiskey we're drinking today. Here's a glass for everybody. Here you go, Chase, okay. Cliff. Today we have the. Ha- is, what's it called? Pronounce that for me, Zach. What? You're the teacher. <laughs> uh, I don't even see where it's at. Uh, down here. I'm sorry. Oh, it's out of order. Hakushu. Hakushu. Twelve year. Twelve year. Oh, so that's another Japanese whiskey. We yeah, we have like a we have a run of Japanese whiskeys for the next uh, couple, next couple weeks. weeks. Yep. Here you go. While yep. you guys are pouring, I know no bourbon, just just these Japanese whiskeys. So the Hakushu Distillery is the second whiskey distillery from uh, Suntory. It's located in the high altitude slopes in Yamanashi, Japan. The climate here is much cooler, allowing Hakushu whiskeys to mature more slowly. Hakushu is known for its use of peated malt, 
This plus the cooler climate gives these whiskeys a more scotch-like character compared to Yamazaki, which we had last week. Mm -hmm. These whiskeys are indeed peatier. They aren't quite as fruity as Yamazaki either. So are they importing peat from Scotland? I don't know. To do this? Yes. The only thing that differs the Japanese whiskeys from scotch is that they're made in Japan. Yeah, but what? so wait, it says something about the peated. It said something about where the peat comes from there, didn't it? Peated malt? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. You don't, so you don't like this? No. No? Not a fan? No. I actually like this. So and you know, Scott, like, I'm more of a bourbon fan, but I actually like this. The Hakashu 12 is one of the finest whiskeys made in Japan. It's also become a harder to find and increasingly more expensive. Since Centauri... Scared the world by temporarily discontinuing this whiskey. Prices have been rising. Luckily, it's back, so do not overpay. It uh, Hakashu 12 is a malty and herbal whiskey with a mild peaty flavor. It is medium-bodied with a dry impression and crisp finish. Oak spice in the form of vanilla, cinnamon, and caramel are also present. Specific tasting notes, and I like the one that they end on here. Specific tasting notes include savory, Toasted malt, green apple, lemon peel, dried flowers, almond, pine, mint, basil, heather, honey, tobacco, faint smoke. I thought and, I could taste heather in there. <laughs> and wet concrete. What? Wet concrete? Yep. I mean, that's just the taste of peat. <laughs> it's just the taste of peat. That's, I mean, that's pretty smooth. Like I haven't tried it yet. Chase? What do you think? Yeah, I saw you grimace. I'm going to be honest. I think there's like a worldwide conspiracy where everyone says whiskey is good, and that's not not true at all. <laughs> are, you a, are you a beer drinker? No. See, I think there's a worldwide conspiracy where everyone thinks that beer is good. No, beer is good. It is. Beer is good. IPA is not good. Regular beer. Like porters, Gas station stouts. beer is good. <laughs> yeah, beer is good. Why can't we just say alcohol is good? It, I mean, so, Chase, do you have a preference then if – if it's not whiskey or beer, are you a wine drinker? No, honestly, I don't drink very much unless it's with my wife and she wants to have an evening where we drink something with a meal or something mm. like that. So honestly, we try. If you drink something, what are you drinking? Uh, sometimes like a are Coke you? and whiskey. Okay. Uh, okay. We tried mead the other day. I actually liked mead, How was which it? was kind of weird. It's really, it's really sweet. It, yeah, it's honey, yeah. honey based or something like that. So I thought that was interesting. So but I told you we need a honey hole mead brand. Me- mead brand. Yep. That's right. But in general, no, I'm not a big alcohol drinker. What you, okay, so what do you This think? is a very expensive bottle, by the way. Okay, so I, can you share how much it is? Yeah, when I was doing research on this, uh-huh. it, look, you're looking at about 200 bucks. Whoa. It tastes like, honestly, it tastes like a $200 like, bottle. Yeah, that's I, wasted on me here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you sure? Yeah, Cliff yeah I'm too. sure. <laughs> Cliff, yeah. Cliff wasn't a fan. I'm oh, just. Uh, the I more, will gladly drink yeah. more of this. The more peat, like peaty flavor in it, I, I'm not a. But fan this isn't of it. a heavy peat. This is not because I'm. Like, it's just, yeah, but it's I like can a, still taste it's it. It's a slight. I peat. can still honest, taste it. Last week did not have any peat, and it was a weird version of trying to be a bourbon, trying to be a scotch because it was a little sweet, but there was no other real flavor to it. Versus this has some of that sweetness, but also has little, just a tiny bit of that smokiness. That gives it a little more character. Oh, this is fantastic. If it, if the peat was out of it, I'd be probably more for it. Really? But I'm not a fan so of So you're the just peat. a hard line no peat. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. No, I'm I'm all about this. 
So you just don't like flavor. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm a very flavorful. This I'm a, a fan. Me too. I this mean, is good. Yeah. I wouldn't buy a bottle. So thanks, Gabe, Ooh, for donating this to us. I probably would if I. Well, no, I wouldn't for that. For the for that price, no. However, it's, it's I will hard. say because we're we're on. If we're being honest, we're all budget whiskey drinkers. What's the best taste we can get? Sixty dollars and under. Sixty dollars and under. Yeah. yeah. However, I my father in law had a bottle of Oban or Oban. I don't know how to say it. Sixteen. That was probably my favorite scotch I ever had. Mm. It might be actually one of my favorite drinks I've ever had. It was fantastic. So. Uh, I forgot to bring this up on the last podcast. I meant to talk about it. Pappy Gate. Yeah, yeah. I wanted you to tell me about it because I have not heard about so, this. There's a documentary on Netflix about modern heists, mm-hmm. like the biggest modern heist. And I think they go back like 25 years, what they consider modern. There was a Vegas heist where they stole a bunch of money from an armored van and they, you know, went off to Central America. I haven't watched this the second one, but the third one, and there's two episodes, it's about two hours, was about um, a guy who was stealing whiskey from Buffalo Trace and then reselling it. So was he working for Buffalo he Trace? He was working for mm, Buffalo okay. Trace. Makes sense. And did it for years and years and years. And mainly, you know, Pappy Van Winkle, obviously, is their most desirable bottles. Right. And resell for, like, thousands, thousands of dollars. It's a $200 bottle? It's a $200 bottle if you buy it retail. It's about uh, if you're just if you if an acquaintance has it for sale, you're probably paying three or four thousand dollars for it. And so, you know, this guy had been you know selling bottles, and you know they think it's worth millions of dollars of whiskey went through this guy's hands and was resold. Um, But there is like a a very interesting surprise at the end, and so I won't ruin that for you guys. But y'all y'all have to check it out. What kind of surprise? No, I'm not going to say. You guys just have to watch it. That's the teaser. You guys watch it and get back to me. Uh, Cliff, tell us about your Sunday hunt. Because we talked about, we recorded on our last episode on Saturday night. Uh-huh. And so we obviously hadn't hunted on Sunday. And you hunted. Yep, and that's my best day. And it was your best day. And then Zach and I slept in. That's right. I'll go to my grave saying that sleeping in on a Sunday morning of a hunt is the best feeling of the world. I don't know. I had three bucks come in. Did you get one, though? No. So all you have was disappointment, whereas well, I had beautiful dreams. Well, I think Cliff... I no. Mean, not, I now, think, now I, I have Z- beautiful dreams. I think Zach... Were, did you decide to sleep on Sunday because what happened on Saturday was so depressing? Yeah, let's face it. I will never have a buck like that 40 yards away from me ever again. And so, like, just because that opportunity was never going to come, I was like, I'm just going to sleep in just <laughs> and pretend that nothing ever happened. Yeah, but you yeah. don't have the itch to hunt and deer and waterfowl like I do. No, not at all. And No, I go, honestly, just, I go out there for a good time. If I come home with something, fantastic. If not, I still had a great weekend. No, I came back and land, the first thing Landon asked was, how was it? And I said, I don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was more like, beating myself up but in all honesty looking back the only thing if i would have prepared better and had my bow dialed in like it normally is Mm -hmm. i could have made every single one of the shots that i came across or if i would have had a rifle i would have blown it out like 100 percent, not in a bad way but i would have had i would have been i would have come back with a buck 100 percent I, I think I don't know. Ian missed one at like 60, 70 yards. Are you a hundred percent sure? 
that if you okay, pulled a I'm trigger like, on a rifle. I'm at like after what happened last year too. Because I pulled a trigger uh, on a rifle and the one, <laughs> the one last pull your year, back, <laughs> the one last year was almost a 200 yard shot, 150 to 200 yards. The closest one this year to me, or each one of them, the farthest one away from me would have been a 60 yard shot all day long. Mm-hmm. My rifle sighted in at 60 yards. I know for a fact. So, with that being said, if I didn't have to try and close distance for my bow, if I could have stayed in my little cove that I had, I would have been able to make something happen. Did you take your shoes off? No, oh. but I but I didn't I was I didn't even walk. Gotcha. I barely barely belly crawled to close in the distance. Gotcha. Because I tried to make myself as small as possible, and I only had to close in seven yards to get to where my pin, I know my pin is set. Yeah. Would you guys ever wear, like, a suit that made you invisible to hunt? Yeah. <laughs> <That'd be laughs> awesome. Mean, like, you know, you think that, you know, qualifies fair chase? Yes. No, <laughs> no, let's, let's change the game a little bit. A suit that makes you invisible, but makes you smell horrible that no scent cover uh, could ever scent they could nah. ever ever cover right it's like a diesel nah. powered invisible suit. suit yeah i don't think diesel smells bad but <laughs> uh to a deer maybe i no i i would err on the side of scent then because you can get away with the camos and stuff that we have nowadays yeah whereas scent is probably their number one uh like alarm. Not for Zach's buck that he missed. No. No, but that goes into what I think is kind of going on here right now. I think my closest all right, so Sunday hunt. I get out there and probably about five little after five or so, uh sun comes up, I wait around, I don't see anything for a long time. Uh, probably about eight fifteen, eight twenty. Um, I look up and I just kind of see a brown mound in the middle of the field, and I just sit there and look at it, and I'm like, "Is that?" And uh, it, then it popped its head up, and I was like, "Yep, that's a deer." And so I pulled out my rangefinder and I clocked it at thirty seven yards. Right now, my bow is only set up to twenty and a thirty yard pin. So I could have lobbed something and probably have made it work, but I I wanted more of a... No, but you want to be ethical. Yeah. So I start to close in the distance, um, crawling up to it. And when I did that, I noticed a more mature buck, probably about 20 yards beyond him. Okay. Um, so I am focusing on this closer buck because I'm like, if anything, that's going to be the one to catch me. But no, what ended up happening is the larger buck ended up blowing or like wheezing, doing a snort. Yep. And that alerted the smaller buck. Smaller buck didn't like it, so he ran out. And then when he ran, the larger buck chased after him. And then at this point, there was nothing in the field so I get up, and I see kind of where they go. They go behind some big uh, cedar bushes. So I keep the cedar bush between me and where I see them run. So I actually get up right at that point and run to the cedar bush. 
And as soon as I get to the cedar bush and kind of start coming around it a little bit, they grunt and blow and then flag and run off. And I try to chase them down even farther, but by that point, they're gone. They knew me at that point. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go back to my little cove area and I'm going to try and rattle and grunt them back in and see if that's like, maybe they weren't like super like, yeah, get that out of here. Maybe they're like, I just didn't like that. So I start walking back to my spot. And as soon as I get back there, there's another buck in the field, but I'm in the, I'm in an open area at this point. So I just drop down to my knees and to try and make myself as small as possible again. And I see him, and he was probably about 32 yards away from me or so. So I raise my bow, and I hit my anchor point. And as soon as I hit my anchor point, he blew out and just ran off. So I let down my bow. I go actually back to where I was actually kind of like my station of finding my little makeshift ground blind area. And I let out like three or four good rattles and then do a a grunt call to s- try and entice them back in because he didn't he flagged a little bit but it wasn't like a straight up all the way running flag and he didn't like necessarily wheeze or snort at it he just ran off mm-hmm. so I, I rattle i do one good grunt and uh hoping that he'd come back in, and I waited about 30 minutes or so, and then I checked the time, and it was 9.30 or so, and I knew we were going to have to start packing up and everything too, so I decided to call it at that point and walk back to the house defeated. Now, back to your question of am I 100% sure? No, because there's never 100% in it, but I know I could make that shot 100% is what I'm saying. Now, something else screws it up, that's a different story. Pressure but gets to you. I know I can make. You don't pull the hammer back? I don't use a gun with a hammer. I use a gun with a hammer. <laughs> um, you can forget to pull them back. <laughs> it happens. So, uh, if I would have had a rifle and everything worked out, I know my skill level's there. If my bow was tuned to even a 40-yard pin, I know my skill level's there. So. Yeah, but we want you to get a deer with your bow. Yeah. We're rooting for you as much as you're rooting for yourself because you haven't is, gotten a deer with a bow yet. Right. right. Which is and why. And I'm going to be there and rooting you on and cheering you on. Not on Sunday mornings, though. No, I'll do it at base camp. <laughs> uh, but that's why, like, I purposely went on this trip, and I said it on our Saturday podcast. I didn't bring a rifle. I want one with a bow, but I know if I had a rifle, I would have also had a buck. Now, uh also, your memory card did end up producing after we thought it was a corrupted file for your game cam that was up for a year. Yeah, so you want to tell that story? How many pictures were on that memory card? So I put that, we put that card up probably a year ago. A year ago. And, and it has not been checked since. No. And I pulled it down Friday night when I went out to check my stand and everything, or to put up my stand. And. I get back, and I tried to plug it into the little phone dongle thing that I had, and it would not pick it up. And at first, I thought it was the phone dongle, like, because it was just a crappy one. I thought that was messed up. 
So I threw it away, and then Carson had his computer, so I pulled out an adapter and the micro SD card, put them together and put it in Carson's computer. Carson has an HP, but I formatted it on a Mac. On a Mac, but I don't think it's necessarily a Mac format. Yeah. And uh, so I put it, we put it in his computer, and it didn't, nothing came up. And I'm like, all right, whatever. It was a fun experiment. Maybe when I get home, try something. Uh, as soon as I dropped you off, Zach, at your house, I did go to Best Buy, smelling like deer pee and everything. <laughs> uh, bought a new, the actual Apple uh, SD card reader. Yeah, yeah, the reader. And, which I like because now I don't have to have another app. It's just there. Right, you just plug it right in. And then uh, I bought two new SD cards. SanDisk, uh, Extre- SanDisk Extreme? Yes. Yep. Pl- Sandus extreme extreme pluses. Actually. Are they the red ones? And so the gold yeah, ones? but you, the one you gave me is an extreme. The, all the other ones I have are extreme pluses. Yeah, extremes is what I've always used, but the extreme pluses it's just more expensive. It I think it reads faster is what it is. Yeah, it writes and reads faster. So it depends. I mean, if you're shooting 4K, you know you want the the plus. Yeah. But. Anyway, uh, so I get back home. And I unload the truck and everything, and then I finally sit down to do my SD cards and all that, and I put it in, and it popped right up on my computer. Really? No issue at all? Uh Uh-uh. And I I went through and everything, and I I was trying to quickly scroll through them, but it wouldn't let me, so I actually had to import it all into Apple Photos, and then when it was doing that, that's when I got the count of 5,000... 978 photos. Did you look at the date and see the last one? Uh, yeah, when did taken? your camera go kaput? Um, you know, I didn't check that, but I can tell you the last date uh, that was on here of the ones that I kept was April 30th. Oh, so it might have been dead for a while. It it may have been. I don't think that it was getting enough sunlight to recharge the battery via mm. the solar panel. I did have to recharge it completely. And if that checks out, the camera that I have up at Dad's probably died somewhere around there too, but his wasn't solar powered. Mm. It was um, just battery. Yeah. So, yeah, 5,978 photos. Of those that were not... I only kept around 37 photos from okay. the camera. That's a lot of calling. A lot of it was grass, wind movement mm-hmm. and stuff. But then there were a lot of squirrels, a lot of rabbits, a lot of cows, um, a lot of cows <laughs> on there. Um, so I, I weeded through the, for lack of a better term, the trash photos that I didn't want to keep. And kept uh, 37 other photos of deer and coyotes are probably the top two. Yeah, there's some really good coyote pictures. Um, now, also, my favorite picture is the uh, bobcat in the snow. Yes, there are bobcats, coyotes. Is it really a bi- bobcat in the snow? There's a couple bobcat, bobcat pictures, but there's my favorite one that pulled off the camera was the bobcat in the snow. We'll post it to Instagram. That's cool. I didn't see it. It's right here. I posted everything onto the share drive since it's not my oh, yeah, place cool. and no one else can really hunt that tree. That's cool. What do you mean no one else can hunt your tree? 
I mean, unless you want to go buy a stand. I'm not showing you how to put it up. <laughs> um, I did like Carson climb up into it. He had never been in one. This is my favorite photo from uh, that camera. But that was taken at our hunt last year. Oh, so this one wasn't a new one pulled off. Right. Oh, yeah. A couple Big eight point. Yeah. Yeah. Nice photos. But yeah, uh, that's. I was pretty excited that I finally got it to work. But then afterwards, I did go through and completely reformat all my cards, yeah. making sure that everything's set up good correctly. It's so funny. I know so many people people who have issues with game cams. It's like, you know, you're gonna have an issue with it at some point. Uh, I mean, I actually don't think that I've had an issue with mine. I just think that. It wouldn't read for whatever reason on, and I think that, that was dongle. your actual card. Yeah, that dongle didn't work properly for me anymore, and I was already toying with the idea of getting a new one. And then maybe because I formatted it on a Mac, maybe there's some crossover between Mac and HP that just doesn't fit right. Yeah, but I'm telling you, as soon as I plugged it into my computer, it was like no issue at all. No, and it didn't even take long to copy all five thousand seven hundred and. Or five thousand nine hundred and seventy-eight photos yeah. over. It probably took it ten minutes or so. Yeah, that's not bad. And then uh, just weeding out. I want to get a video game camera. I do too. They're just so expensive for yeah. a, for a truly good one. Yeah. Um. And the bad thing about the one that's way in the back of our place, there's no cell service because I know you have. Uh, All of mine have, are cell yeah. driven, but that's because I didn't really start to use them until last year. And then I just built up. I mean, I only have three, and I'm using them on various places. That you don't have access to all the time. Right. Um, have you seen uh, Casey Smart's blog where he sets up the photo traps where he has, like, a DSLR, and he sets it up to take a photo when it's tripped? No. Mm -hmm. So he gets, like, real high-quality photos of foxes and different stuff What's like that. What's this guy's name? Casey Smart. He's a... He ran the fly tying for Oktoberfish or Trout Fest or something like that for years. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. Okay. But he actually, instead of like a game cam, he, he, he sets, actually up, like he sets up an, a, a true DSLR. DSLR. And high quality. Like great pictures. Yeah, yeah, really cool. That's really neat. Yeah, no, that's cool. I wonder what he uses to trigger it. I'm not sure. If he's not there. That's really cool, though. That's cool. Well, thanks, Cliff. Uh, let's roll into our articles. Okay, who's, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Actually... Yeah, I'll go first, Florida man. Florida man? No fooling. All right. It's kind of like hold my beer. All right. You know what I'm saying. It's just Florida man. That's all it is. Okay. Florida man uses finger guns to steal waff Waffle House napkins. What? Like, does he do the old, like, hand in the jacket trick? <laughs> just pew, pew. But also, <laughs> this why? Was, this was, I found this on WCTV, uh, written by Thomas Brown. Okay. A Madison County Waffle House employee called 911 Monday night to report an attempted robbery. The suspect was the suspect was unarmed and simply left after grabbing some napkins. Uh, he was identified as Edward Rodriguez uh, based on video footage and witness descriptions. He entered the Waffle House about 8 p.m. Witnesses described him uh, as a guy wearing a gray hoodie, dark jeans, a dark hat with dark hair. And was accompanied by a small dog. 
He, be, he then began shouting, get on the ground, y'all are getting robbed, according to reports. He then stated that he was high and drunk before grabbing some napkins and walking out. Rodriguez got into a vehicle and left the parking lot. The suspect did not appear to have a weapon, but did raise his hands with his fingers in the shape of a gun. Deputies located him at his residence and placed him under arrest uh, after he admitted to the crime. Let's he was then taken to Madison County Jail on charges of unarmed robbery and assault. Let's be honest. The Well, what was the assault for? Just because assault is verbal. Battery is the physical touch, right? Well, he said... Get on the everyone get on the ground. Right. Y'all are getting robbed. So if he didn't say that, is it really a crime? Like if he just walked in, was just like took I'm high and drunk, and took napkins and walked <laughs> yeah. out. Everybody be like, okay. yeah, nobody would even question. Like, oh, <laughs> no. I guess he wanted some napkins. No big deal. Right. Yeah. And then to be actually arrested for it, like I mean, well, he caused a panic. Yeah, so. but by saying, "Get on the ground, y'all are being robbed." But also, like, you're at a Waffle House, like, and you walk out with napkins. Like, at least get a waffle. You're going to get robbed. At least get a ro- waffle for it, you know? Yeah, I, I yeah, just if have you are ho- going to jail for this, wouldn't I you have, have also like to have a waffle? <laughs> I have a hard time, like, say, like feeling like a Waffle House would have been like, he took all our napkins! And it just said he took some, like a pocket full. Yeah, what yeah that's I'm what imagining. I imagine. I imagine he literally, maybe maybe he grabbed one of the little silver con- silver containers, you know. Okay, but like $9 worth of something stolen? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah, it's, that's ridiculous. And that's what Florida Man stories are, Cliff. He, I hope ridiculous. He go, I hope he goes to jail and his roommate's like, so what are you in here for? Stealing some napkins from Waffle House? So, Chase, your best friend, uh, Robbie, lives in Florida now, right? He does. That might be about him. Uh, I was going to say, does he have any good Florida man stories? I'm sure he does. He works in a hospital, so. I oh, mean, we uh, probably get some good stuff I'm, coming. Yeah, out. yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't, you know, actually, there's a story about Robbie. He was the Florida man. He uh, he told me, he was like, Chase, I found this great spot on Google Maps. I decided I was going to go fish it, and I had to go through some thick woods to get into this spot. I get in the river and I start wading and uh, there's no fish and I start seeing all these alligators. And he's like, I can't find any fish. And these alligators keep coming up and checking me out. So he started fishing for the gators? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. He uh, he kept on going and he comes around this corner and there's this big old high bridge and there's a ton of people up there looking down and there's gators everywhere. So he gets out of the river and goes up there. Turns out it's like an alligator observatory where they feed the alligators. (laughs) (laughs) So he had just fished through the whole thing until he got to where all the people were. Oh, man. Oh, that's hilarious. That's great. But that's accidental Florida man stuff right there. It is, but I feel like with a slight amount of research, you can figure that out. Or at least by the time you see the 10th alligator, you're like, okay, something's off. And I don't know about you guys. Would you have continued to fish? Chase, would you have continued to fish? No. After seeing, like, let's just say your second gator. Because, like, one gator, oh, it's a fluke, whatever. He's moving away. You know, you're pretty neat, but I respect your distance kind of thing. I don't know. It's Florida where they're prolific. I mean, you you can golf. In parts of Florida, and see more than two alligators right. on a single hole. You know the putt putt where you have to golf into an alligator's mouth. That's real. It comes from Florida. It's a real mm-hmm. gator too. I think there were enough here where he knew something was off, but he persisted anyway. So, like he was like, "Yeah, this is probably weird, but I'm gonna keep doing it." Yep. Yep. No, I would have. I, I would have bailed. It. I'd have been gone. Yeah, after like two alligators, I'd be. I'd be done. So we got a wood tip call. We haven't got one in like, gosh. 
10 episodes? Uh, longer than At that, least. I feel like. Probably longer than that. Yeah, we'll we'll see what Wood Tip filled us in on. Morning, boys. This here's Wood Tip Pickle Chip giving you another call. Seems a little raspy. Boys, it's been a while since I've been like able to give you a shout, but uh, you know, we're down here, we're in the south, okay, and we're doing good. All right, we're getting them groceries. All right. Been a little under the weather. All right. But we got work to do. All right. Can't slow us down. Okay. No fooling. We got, got to keep it going. All right. And Frasers don't fail themselves. All right. No, you know what I'm saying? All right. You got to get out there and get it. But uh, anyhow, we got some clients out here. They're leaving. And, uh, you know, the lady friend, she's cleaning up, getting ready for the next crew coming in this afternoon. All right. So, so I'm saying we got to get it. But, uh, you know, had a little time on my hands. You know, pretty rare. Pretty rare. So I'm actually up here in the deer blind, okay, and uh, I'm, I'm watching deer right now. I mean, they're out there in the Sundera, you know, just being, you know, meandering around, and I'm waiting on some pigs, though. I really need to get me a pig on the ground, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Got to get that pork meat, <laughs> all right? But uh, anyhow, but, uh, you know, them Yankees are coming down this afternoon, and uh, they'll, they'll be here later, but uh Anyhow, speaking of Yankees, you know, I had one of them call me and he said, you know, to book another deal, you know, put come on down here and get his groceries, all right. You know, maybe some horns for the wall, you know what I'm saying? It's a good deal. It's a good deal. But uh, anyhow, he's telling, you know, he says, oh, what tip? You ain't been posting on that uh, Instagram. And I said, well, all right. I'm a little old for that, really, to keep up with all that nonsense, you know what I'm saying? But he said, you know, you like seeing my, my pictures on there or whatnot. And I said, well, you know, truth be told, I done lost my password. I don't know how to get back into that thing, you know what I'm saying, to put, put any pictures on there, you know. And I said, well, I wrote it down somewhere, but I, we're going to find it eventually. And uh, anyhow, so I climb up in this deer blind, and I'll be damned if I, that password ain't written right here on the door. Okay. <laughs> no fooling. I mean, you know, it's like a security measure to write stuff down. You know what I'm saying? It says it right here. It says lock windows and door when leaving. And then right below it, I etched in there, you know, Instagram password. So there it is. All right. So. I'm gonna try to get that running again, but you know we'll see. Who knows? You know we got we got things to do around here, not things to do. So, anyhow, I hope y'all are doing well, and I hope y'all are out there hunting or fishing or doing whatever you do. Okay, and uh, you know, hey, listen, put some meat in that freezer. All right, get them groceries, boys. Get them groceries. All right, get them. This here's Wood Tip Pickle Chip, and y'all have a good week. There you go. Thanks, Wood Tip. That reminds me, Woodtip is the only one that sends us audio files. Like, people submit questions every week. He's the only one that submits audio files that we play on the show. Uh, this would be a good time to remind you guys that if y'all want to have your voice on our show, get your iPhone, take a voice memo, and email it to us at info at honeyholeangling.com, and we'll play whatever you have to say. We're obviously going to screen it first, but... We'll, as long as it's uh, appropriate, we will play whatever you have to say. Whether it's a question or a comment or a story. Or send concern. Them in. Or concern. Send them in. I like it. All right. Uh, Cliff. See. You ready to talk about uh, whatever you're going to talk about? Well, there's two things. I kind of want to cover them both. Do I get to push a button? Uh, For the second one. Oh. I guess. What about the first one? Uh, I don't know what it would be tied to. What are my two? Uh, Cool Conservation Corner and... On Patrol? On Patrol. patrol. 
We can make a new one. If it's I a, guess they're both. Is the conservation corner? Is it a technology corner? No. Well, sure. I mean, I guess this one would fit a technology corner. <laughs> but first off, uh, since they don't pay me to say this, I'm not going to say their name, but a certain mapping organization. <laughs> Are uh, you saying that they should be paying us to say their name on our podcast? They should be paying me because I utilize them. <laughs> 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 and it's it's advertisement. Uh, so a certain mapping organization <laughs> recently came out with a... I wonder who they are. I mean, listen to past episodes, you'll find it. Uh, came out with rep maps now to highlight different times that they predict uh, peak ruts would be occurring around wherever you have the subscription for this said mapping organization. Um, and it's pretty cool. Uh, hey, hey, hey. So, we are obviously going to have a question. We are a predominantly fly fishing podcast. So, why don't you explain to the people out there what a rut is? Um, so, the rut is a time of year or in this season, specifically around deer, but all you could argue that all animals kind of tend to rut. But it's when that m- certain mood strikes it's what kind of mood it's baby making time yeah the sexy mood and during said time specifically for deer which is what this one necessarily outlines more so big bucks and will start to fight more they will leave their squads or their buck groups because male deer will leave the female deer at a certain age and they hang out together for a while and then during this time they'll start to split apart but and they'll fight and stuff and this is all why they have that fancy headgear and the stuff that we like to put on our walls uh comes out a little bit more they'll beef up a little bit more you'll see them kind of blow up they'll become uh thicker and build um which is due to muscle mass and just extra weight that they're putting on during this time uh, they're not eating as much because they le- necessarily have one thing on their mind, and that is finding them a sweet, sweet dough to copulate with. Um, <laughs> but this your uh, descriptions for things, Cliff. It's just but it's this very ma- textbook, and I appreciate yeah. it. This map has been pretty cool because you can kind of see where, like, where in the rut phase, different things are. Uh, so, like, where we were on this weekend, uh, and these are all kind of estimates. Nothing's, like, necessarily set in stone because nothing is kind of set in stone because it's not like this date is for sure when it's going to happen. But you can use some historical evidence. You can use uh, seasonalities of stuff such as weather and climate around them uh, will help push them into this time period as well um but where we were this weekend its prediction is uh like right at thanksgiving which has been my dad's my dad's been trying to like dial it in when he actually thinks the rut is i think the past couple seasons he's come to the realization that like thanksgiving Thanksgiving is peak rut yeah and to put it in perspective to like one area where your dad is or where yeah, where your dad is says that it's November 23rd, but less, not even a county over predicts that that area is going to be December 5th. 
for mm. so I mean it's maybe twenty miles, thirty miles. I would miles? I wouldn't say according to the key, I wouldn't even say ten miles. Uh, three okay. miles. Ten miles. It's not even ten miles. So yeah, you can say three miles if that's what you <laughs> want to say. So now you're what what you're saying is there's tools out there now that that can help map. you predict how where when's going to be probably your best time to be out there. I like it. So, like what I was texting you earlier, I said we really need to push to push a hunt for Thanksgiving at your dad's place. So, sign <laughs> me up so I don't have to eat a Whataburger chicken Cliff, sandwich. Our dad, Mike Cliff, is asking for an invitation. <laughs> if you're listening to this, this will this will play after Thanksgiving. Yeah, it will. Yeah. So, beca- <laughs> <laughs> so because of all this, yeah. So when you hear this, I hope you had a good rut season. Uh, because everything's going to be predominantly done or pretty dang close, uh, unless you're super south Texas. Oh, cool. Thanks, Cliff. Hey, what's your second one? What's your second one? Do I get to push a button for this one? Yeah, you can push a button. Which one? Uh, cool Conservation Corner. Oh, yeah, my favorite button. Every time. So coming at you from the TPWD arm of things, uh, TPWD and Ducks Unlimited have partnered together to construct approximately 206 more acres of new wetlands for a specific WMA. Uh, this is to help provide more habitat for a variety of bird species associated with recreational benefits. Uh, after the winter weather from the wetlands uh, unit would be released back to the river in which all the water pretty much comes from um, and it's going to be designed to reduce sediment nitrogen and phosphorus levels in the water providing valuable treatment and improved water quality to this river the project is also anticipated to have more than 200 million gallons of water replenishment benefits annually sounds like this is a good thing for fishing too yeah because i think you can fish the the river that this feeds on yeah, I'm sure you can. This wetland feeds on. Yeah, but healthier if they're, you know, cleaning the. If, if sounds like they're doing better, trying to do better water quality, that's just going to help not only hunting, which is the only thing that you're interested in, Cliff, but also fishing, which everyone else in the group. Is interested <laughs> in. um, so ducks and yeah. uh, some companies that are actually kind of partnering uh, with DU and Texas Parks Parks and Wildlife. I kind of find interesting because two of them. I wouldn't have necessarily, but PepsiCo okay. and Facebook and Boonville. I don't know what that is. Oh, Boonville Environmental Fund, along with Littman Foundation, led by Texas, by Nature, TexWax, a coalition of industry, nonprofit, and governmental organizations established in 2001 Invest Efforts along the river to yield positive returns of water quality quantity uh, captures close choose to start they are also predicting with this uh, part of the reasons that they're trying to do this is Texas's population of 29 million people expected to double is expected to double by 2050 putting pressure on the state's land, water, and wildlife infrastructure as as the 10th largest economy in the world with a GDP of $1.9 trillion in new water 
opportunities and conservation actions are needed to maintain its economic leadership. And then it just goes into like how, what is DU. Cool. But cool. Pretty interesting. So TPWD is partnering to make a river cleaner. Yeah. Always a Hopefully good thing. bring in. And uh, I mean, this W, if you noticed, I was consciously trying not to say the WMA and the rivers and stuff because I have actively hunted this spot. And we're going to drop pins and put it on our Instagram for people, right? Oh, yeah. yeah 100%. A quick Google search will figure this out. Yeah. But put in the work. But put in the work. <laughs> I like it. Cool. Thanks, Cliff. All right, Zach. All right, guys. Creature Watch. Time for Creature Watch. All right. So, today, guys, I'm bringing you the story of the Beast of Bray Road. Is this the one that Landon's dad told you This today? is the one that Landon's dad recommended. Uh, I looked it up, and it was a little spooky. So, I figured I'd share it with everybody. Uh, what would you guys say? Oh, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a little information. It is also known as the Bray Road Beast and the Wisconsin Werewolf. So knowing that, when would you guys say the first appearance of the Beast of Bray Road would be? 72. Four, 1940. Okay. What do you think, Chase? Just throw a number out there. Any date. Not a random number. Uh, Let's say 1860s. Okay. Uh, you got a month? Am I close then? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was 1936, so 1940 was actually really close. I like to keep a tally board of how many of these I've won because I think I'm by far the lead. lead. Yeah. No. I, th- I think we do need a tally board. It would be pretty great. If it's really old, Cliff wins, but if it's more recent, yeah. which most of ours are, I think. Yeah, there's a mix. Yeah, Cliff brings in the history of like, oh, you know, <laughs> this country, this was going on, and Really puts thought into it. Exactly. Gets close. Were you just thinking 70s because that's where uh, that 70s show was recorded? Was it in Wisconsin? No. Okay. That didn't even cross my mind <laughs> at all. Uh, so, the Beast of Bray Road is a humanoid wolf-like creature, right? Kind of like a werewolf. Uh, around the area of Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Uh, they've written many books, documentaries, and actually in 2005 there was a movie based on the Beast. What movie? Was Beauty and the Beast? No. <laughs> no, it's called The Beast of Bray Road, I think. Okay. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, The Beast really became popular, right? Like, we started seeing more and more stories, so much so that the local newspaper actually hired a reporter to look into this, right? Uh, her name was Linda Godfrey. Uh, she was the main reporter. Originally, they hired her because, like, she was very skeptical, and they were like, okay, just, like, you know... Kind of do your a- thing. Appease these people, you yeah. know. However, after she started uh, interviewing these people who had experiences, she became a believer because of how, uh, like, sincere these people were. Because, like, she was like, she could not find a flaw in their, in their statements. And they were just so, like, they believed it so much that she began to believe it. It is known as a large seven-foot wolfman creature covered in hair, obviously black or brown right, or dark gray, and it has these bright red eyes. So uh, people always say that you know the beast is near because it would start to leave its talon marks along vehicles, uh, you know, it kind of mess around with plants and stuff, just kind of be a, you know, a big old nuisance of an animal. But uh, it can also be seen during the day, right? So unlike a werewolf, it can come out whenever it wants. Um, it specifically removes the organs of animals and people to eat, right? So it would just, like, cut you open, 
eat your stuff out. And likes then, organs. Likes organs. Cliff. Yeah. Cliff likes organs. They like organs. Exactly. He's a little furry, so Pratchett of the Beast. You know. Hey, what color are your eyes? I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you didn't stare in them enough this weekend? I tried to, man. Our cots right next to each other. Uh, July 2020. We had fantastic pillow talk. <laughs> <laughs> July 2020 is the most recent sighting. Uh, people think it might actually just be like a skinny bear, right? Like a tall, skinny bear. Uh, one witness thought that she actually hit a bear. So when she got out of her car... She walked over to it, uh, and the beast lunged at her and chased her, and she, that's when she noticed it actually had the bright red eyes. Uh, she got in her car, and the beast actually used its strength to rip off the door from her car and then slash the hood with its talons. This is July of 2020? Yes. And are there photos? I mean, obviously there would be photos of this. No, the the government doesn't want you to know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, understood. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen after we release this. But... Uh, Demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, YouTube. <laughs> uh, luckily, she did escape with her life. So, you know, if you're ever there in the middle of Wisconsin, keep an eye out for uh, the Beast of Bray Road. That was a good one. Yeah, I liked it. That was a good yeah. one. Thanks, Landon's dad. <sighs> cool. All right, guys. Chase. Miss you. <laughs> we miss you. You ready to go? And your delicious I guess so. breakfast. It's so nice out there, out there in the Mexican markets where chilies stretch in the sun, high in the mountain air between backcountry skis and kids doing the first snowplow, or next to the pool after a long day of forgetting what day it is. We're all here to get out there and come home more us than the us that went away. And when you save on travel as an Expedia member, you can travel even more. It's so nice out there. So let's go. Expedia. Made to travel. Terms apply. See site for details. FX presents Under the Banner of Heaven This case I'm working on is a double murder Inspired by the true crime bestseller by John Krakauer Oh my god And starring Academy Award nominee Andrew Garfield The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about FX is Under the Banner of Heaven All new Thursdays, only on Hulu all right, so you tie flies for a living. I do. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, is it possible to tie flies for a living? It's very difficult. Okay. That's for sure, yeah. Because uh, as someone who ties a lot of flies, well, I haven't tied a lot of flies lately, but as someone who has tied a lot of flies in the past, I don't. I could not see it as a feasible thing to do. Yeah, it it depends on what you're tying a lot of the time too. You know, uh I tie lots of game changers and that is by far my least profitable fly. Really? Just yeah. because of the amount of time that goes into it. It takes and so much people time. would complain people to Yeah, and I'm I've, sure you I'm sure you get a lot of complaints. Why are your game changers so expensive? I feel I feel bad, you know, when people are like, "Hey, how I had a guy at a one of the fly fishing shows in Denver who grabbed one of the flies and was like, "Hey man, oh wow, what a beautiful fly." Let me get, is that like $8 or more? And I was like, that's a $20 more. fly. And <laughs> yeah, more, more, definitely more. more. And he was like, oh, I wasn't trying to be insulting. But, you know, your mind doesn't go to $20 when you think of a fly. Right. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I, I wish I could sell them for cheaper. Well, I think people need to get in the mentality of like swim baits because how much yeah. do swim baits cost? Yeah. Like 
hundreds of dollars. Sometimes, yeah, Sometimes. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People need to get in that and. No, but at least like a, a cheap one is like fifteen to twenty dollars, and that's yeah. you know manufactured wherever. I will yeah. say you can tie game changers cheaply and not very well, and maybe make it a little more feasible. Right. But like at least for me, where you know I tried to kind of err into the side of where I would make one brush, tie the whole fly, trim it, crank them out. Mm-hmm. But I just I can't do that i like to i'm very much a perfectionist with the things that i do so you know typically i'm tying up a support brush the veiling brush i make every shank i put a bead on every shank as i make it i mean there's all these things that go into it and i was like well what can i trim down to you know make this go faster and after a while i was like you know what i'm just gonna make them as good as i can sell them for what i can right and start focusing on other flies to actually make up you know the bulk of what i tie yeah, but yeah. I mean, like, that's, you know, and it's okay. There's so many different types of flies that it's okay to have a few in your box that might be $15, 20 flies. Oh, yeah, for I mean? sure. I, I would never leave the house Well, they the make great gifts, it. too, because oh, I yeah. know I've <laughs> bought them from the store to take them back to my buddies in Georgia, and I gave them all to my guide friend there. Yeah. No, I mean, they make a statement. And I believe I mean, he's bought some from you, too. Not that you recognize the name, but. <laughs> Probably. I don't I don't know. What, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Reese. That does sound familiar. I probably I sell flies to lots of people. So. Yeah, that's why I said you. I don't. <laughs> but I no, it does. You sound have familiar. to be if you're going to be doing right. it full yeah, time. Oh, yeah, you yeah, got to be selling sure. a lot of flies. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, how long does it take to tie a game changer? Uh probably depends on the size. And the it does depend on the size. The smallest ones probably take me about thirty minutes to tie, plus the time for making the brushes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to do them in batches when I can, but most of the time it ends up being. Custom orders for the most part, because honestly, selling to shops uh, is, you know, I have to give a, a fairly large discount right. off what is wholesale. already, yeah. So. Slim margins. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because then you're, you're into the custom stuff, but you can't do batches as well because yeah. people want one of each color or something like right. that. Yeah. So. No, but I mean, like, they're, they're great. Uh, what about the feather game changers do you make a brush out of those two or no the feathers i i make a support brush okay. and i make it different than i make the one for uh like the hybrid game changers because mm-hmm. the different materials react differently in the water yeah so with the feathers i like to have a less stiff brush underneath okay uh to let it flow a little better it kind of just complements the feathers a little bit better and uh but no with those i'm taking a a hen saddle and i'm picking the flies uh, or the feathers mm-hmm. uh, as i go and uh, so, like, as I make each shank, since I hand make them, they'll be a little bit different. The spacing will be a little bit different. And so I like to, you know, I hand select the feathers as I go to match everything. Because really, you can look at a game changer and see how well it's tied by looking at the taper. And there's honestly, there's not that many people that have nailed it. There's some guys that tie some amazing game changers. And then there's a lot of people that sell them. And you can, you can, if you've, tied game changers or if you've seen the ones that blaine ties and stuff like that you can look at these and say you know there's gaps there they need to work on things so yeah that's what i look at i like i like seeing a smooth taper with no gaps if it has gaps it's going to kink up when it swims it's just not the same someone asked us what are your favorite brushes for your game i know you make your own but maybe for someone at home that doesn't want to make their own brushes do you have any recommendations yeah i like i've tied them with the uh rd fly fishing brushes they have the translucy brush which actually 
I have one of the flies. I'd never used this material before, but uh, it ended up coming out pretty interesting because it's a kind of a thicker fiber, but still oh. really soft. And yeah. I've never, I've never tied with a, a fiber like that. But that's what when I was talking to Blaine recently, and uh, he had sent a customer over to me to tie up some flies, and Blaine told me what they needed, and he said this was the brush to use. So. Yeah, that's a kind of a cool fiber, and they have all the like the streamer brushes, everything like that. What I do is I buy my materials from them and then spin up my brushes myself. Mm. So you just buy the the fibers or whatever. Yeah, I'll so. I'll buy like the uh, I think they're called kinky fibers mm-hmm. or uh, slinky fibers, something okay. like that, and then I'll mix them with their uh, sculpting flash fibers. But yeah, they're uh, they're definitely a labor of love, and. You figured out how to make your own shanks because I know most people buy their own shanks when they're tying their own game changers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that was probably a cost effectiveness thing, I would imagine, because I know game changer shanks are very expensive. They are expensive. So, you how have to buy you, so many different how, sizes? Do what? Is that where their cost comes because you have to buy so many separate sizes for them? Or? Uh, well, I mean, if you're, if you're buying the shanks, it, if you're only tying up flies for yourself, it's really not too bad. It's right. not worth, you know, I buy wire in three pound. Uh, bulk rolls and then I cut it up as I go but yeah it was more of I was going through so many and I also I like to be in control of how long each shank is if I have a brush that I've made that I I don't want to trim and I don't it's spaced a little unevenly I'll just make the shank a size that matches that brush yeah and so you kind of have a little more control over everything Mm. but it also lets me like if you look on the back of each of these shanks I slide a bead on halfway through the process. So, like, I'll I'll take the wire, snip it, and then I bend one loop into it. So, on one side, it's got the eye. And then I'll slide the bead onto there and then close the other side. So, that bead is trapped on the shank now, which you couldn't do that on a, on a commercially available shank. And then I'll slide that bead to the very back of the shank. And so, whenever I tie the material on, it kind of works like a little, you know, have you ever tied with a thread dam where you build up a... a yeah a bit of thread and then wedge something against it and it makes it flare out. Yep. That's basically what it does without taking up very much space or extra time. Yeah, because you can just slide that bead on instead of having to wrap, wrap, wrap. Yeah, wrap. you slide that little plastic bead on and then uh, you put the material right up against it and so it the flares ma- it out. It, it flares it out. The material doesn't body. collapse into the yeah. eye. You know, it's just part of making them fish effectively. Yeah. Hey, so uh, during COVID, I sold you a bunch of hen saddles. Yeah. You yeah. bought like, I want to say like, you probably bought 30, and I probably threw, like, five or ten extras. Yeah, it was a lot. In the box. Have you yeah. tied through all those hen saddles? No, I haven't tied through all of them. Okay. Honestly, I sent a bunch of them off to be dyed uh, because they were, like, they were the natural black, and I wanted them to be dyed all the way black. Yep. And so I haven't gotten the black ones back Okay. Yet. Who did you who did you send those off to be dyed by? Uh, his name's Jeff Pretty. He's got the Fly Hair Company over in Plano. Texas. Oh, he's the one who uh, he's also a taxidermist. Yeah, he's got all the exotic hair and stuff. Yeah, I want to get him on the podcast. Yeah, I've yeah, been wanting to get him for nice a guy. while. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He was at Trout Fest. Yeah, the last time there last was a Trout time. Fest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, so I don't think that's he normally doesn't do that, but he he said he'd help me out. So. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. How did you get into fly tying? Uh, well, I uh, I started fly fishing. When my friend Robbie started fly fishing, uh, and 
the tying kind of came naturally. When I was little, like growing up for my birthday, my my parents would get me a big plastic box, like a giant one just full of popsicle sticks, duct tape, and craft stuff. And I would make swords, spears, like slingshots, whatever growing up. So I always loved to like tinker with crafts. I'd go uh, try to make bows out of cedar and whatnot. So like I always loved working with my hands. I had a teacher actually in, in high school who uh, paid me, hired me to make him a bunch of uh, slingshots that shoot arrows that he could put plastic arrows in and shoot at the students when they came in his classroom. So, yeah, it was just a bunch of stuff like that. So it was kind of like a natural extension. Once I started, uh, you know, fly fishing, I wanted to figure out how I could catch fish with flies that I tied. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorite experiences was when I first started uh, trying to catch carp because I had no idea how to catch them, what they would eat. Honestly, I didn't really... I didn't know how to look up what to what to do. I did, hadn't just didn't spend much time other than out on the water. And so it took me like four or five months before I finally tied this little fly that I thought looked like a little baby crawfish, which I'd read they might eat. And then I caught five that first day that I caught one. And I was like, wow, that was so much fun going through the whole process of months of trying to figure out what are these things going to eat. One of the first flies... I was out watching the carp and uh, the pecans were falling from the tree and they were, they would come up and eat the pecans Uh and it was so cool. And so I tied what I thought was a cool fly that was this big foam ball. And I put little, like the little leaves coming out the top of the green pecan that had fallen in the water or whatever. And then uh, everyone made fun of me because it looked like a giant turd floating (laughs) in the water. (laughs) Did it catch fish? It did not catch fish. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) But I tried, so. So, yeah, lots of trial and error, and then to have it all finally come together, it was, uh, like, a big moment for yeah. me. So That's that, awesome. Yeah. So how do you take a pattern, and the game changer isn't your fly. No, no. It's uh, Blaine Chocolate's yeah. fly. Yeah. So how do you approach something that already exists and then get ideas on how to make it better? Well, it depends. Like, with the game changer – it's like Blaine says, it's a platform more than anything. So there's pretty much like infinite variations that you can do. Right. But for me, when I'm, when I'm thinking about, okay, what do I want to tie? How do I want to make this maybe personalized or something to my fishing situations? I like to look at the problem and then try to solve it. So like, um, for example, recently, one thing I've been, I was down at the coast and the seagrass was everywhere and I just could not keep it off my hook. I was getting so frustrated. I was talking to people, and they were like, oh, I just throw a floating fly, you know, this time of year. Throw a floating crab, hope the fish comes up and sees it. And I was like, well, I would love to find a way to throw a fly that is weedless enough to get down into the grass, get through it without picking up all that grass, and, you know, get in front of more fish and not have to get that off my hook every time. And so that was, like, something that I keyed in on. And so then when I started designing patterns to try to combat that, that was what I focused on. Like, how am I going to keep grass from sticking to this fly? And so uh, I ditched bead chain eyes. I added weed guards top and bottom. Like, I tried all these different things until I got a combination that shed the the grass the way I wanted it to. So it was kind of like you see a problem, then you go through trial and error trying to fix it. Yeah. Um, You have a new fly called your Spiral Spook. Yeah. How did you get the idea for that fly? Because it is unlike... 
any fly I've ever seen. No, I've seen some a little bit with like deer hair, but nothing like this. Yeah, and it looks fantastic. Yeah, the deer hair ones are super cool, but uh, I I have made some in the past, and they're they take forever to tie, and then they get waterlogged, and you know they're when they're big, they soak up a ton of water. And so, yeah, I was just trying to figure out a way to replicate a spook, you know, walk the dog action. Because back when I had conventional fish, that's what I loved to throw. You know, middle of the day, didn't matter, I'd throw a spook. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just, and honestly, it, it's taken me several months of different designs, different variations to get it to where it walks the dog and does everything it needs to do. Are you pretty happy with your design now? Oh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very Like, happy. is this, like, the last stage? Are you still kind of working anything out? Um. Maybe a couple little kinks here and there. Maybe just like, I don't know, figuring out what the best product for each aspect of the right. fly is. But no, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, super fun. I, I fished with it a lot recently and uh, caught a bunch of bass. Uh, my friend down in Corpus caught a bunch of uh, redfish. Uh, Y'all know Nate Wilson. He caught the Mai Mai over in Mexico yep. on it. That was super cool to see. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, things like that, seeing a fly and being like, oh, wow, you know, I remember tying that up, and now it's <laughs> in that mahi giant mahi. green, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of, you know, people catching cool fish on your flies, what are some cool stories of people catching fish on your flies? That's a good question. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I don't hear, you know, lots of people catch fish, and then later on I'll talk to them, they're like, oh, I caught this. I'm like, oh, you should have told me that, you know, send me a picture or something. Yeah. I, I love to hear about it. Uh, let me think. Uh, Didn't someone catch a GT on one of your flies? Yeah, yeah. Uh, her name's Ruth. I think her Instagram is Navajo Fly Fisher or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, she took a batch of flies down and caught peacock bass. She said she had a, a piranha, uh, or I can't remember what species. I think she said the piranhas tore some of the flies up and then some species cut straight through the metal shanks or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Like Gosh. pulled it apart. Yep. But yeah, she ended up catching a GT on one. So yeah, that was really cool. That was pretty early on too, uh, when you were still over at the at the Orvis store. Yep. And yeah, that was you were at the time you were getting a batch of flies for uh Belize or Tarpon in Belize or something like that. Yep, tar you made some custom game changers, tarpon styled game changers where yep. it's the big hook, but you have a wide gap on the shank. Yeah. Um, kind of traditional tarpon fly. Mm -hmm. He tied some feathered game. I still have them. I have not hooked a tarpon on one yet, but I know they will. It's just parkin tarpon can be persnickety. So yep. it hasn't been for lack of trying. But I know one day a tarpon's gonna see that and be like I want it. Yep. I want that. But <laughs> yep. for me what's worked has been uh yellow of all colors, tarpon bunnies. Really? Yeah. Which is a non-traditional color. Most people are fishing like black and purple, red and black, uh, maybe like a tan or a white. But yellow tarpon bunnies have been like the it fly that worked for me. But those guys cycle through flies when they're tarpon fishing so often. Really? Yeah. It's like they'll try some, several things in one day. Yeah. Yeah. We were cycling through like... The reason the we got to the yellow tarpon bunny is because we tried every other tarpon fly I had, and it's like I had bought a yellow one somewhere randomly. I don't even know how I got in my box. And like, we're try I guess we're trying yellow because I had gotten so many good shots on tarpon and traditional colors, whatever. Nothing else worked, yeah. and yellow was the color. And then uh, I remember that was a trip that Will uh, came like a couple days later after I started fishing. 
And I told him, I was like, dude, I only have one of these. I may had already lost it. Or maybe it was like beat to shreds because I had caught a couple fish on it. And I texted him, I was like, dude, I know you're going to be here in like a day, but I need yellow, like you need to tie up like a dozen yellow yellow tarpon bunnies because that's what's working. Okay. So they tied them up and brought them with them. Um, but uh, yeah, I still have those flies. I'm just like itching to catch a tarpon on yeah. one. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. I was I was lucky enough to go uh, over to uh, one of the jetties in Texas, and, like, the first time I went after tarpon, I, I caught a decent tarpon. A little Texas tarpon? Mm-hmm. Nice. I was pretty excited. I, yeah. I think at the time I didn't quite realize, you know, how unique that was yeah. because it was my first time trying and <laughs> like just one? caught one. And yeah. yeah. I was talking to some guy who was jackfishing. He was like, oh, I got a fish. Tarpon. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and ever since then. No luck. Yeah. Yeah. What? So you did a trip to uh, catch rooster fish. Yes. Yeah. Will you talk about that trip? Yeah. No, that was a super cool trip. Uh, it was me, Robbie, yet again. He's and that's kinda, Baja. Yeah. Baja, yeah. Mexico. We went, uh, we went, it was just two or three years ago now. And we went with uh, Robbie, one of my friends, Zachary, and Robbie's dad. And uh, got a little place called Hacienda del Palmas or something like that. And I'm butchering the pronunciation. But it was uh, right near the, the, the ocean. We could hop on the four-wheeler, get over to the beach. So y'all rented a four-wheeler. Rented a four-wheeler. Uh, no guides, nothing like that. Robbie had kind of researched what he thought we should have, what, we th- what he thought we should look for. And it turns out we didn't really know what we were doing at all. So we we took the four wheelers, you run them down the down the beach. Uh, we flipped a couple of them because it's pretty rocky in some places. And uh, we spent the first few days like running up and down the beach looking for rooster fish. We'd see them, you know, we'd get off the four wheeler and they'd just mosey out into the deep water. Really, and I think they've I think they've you know felt the vehicles or known enough to see the movement and be like, okay, someone's messing with us. Yeah. Yeah. So they'd move off. And then towards the end, we realized it was better if we just found where we thought they were coming through, sat in one place, maybe stood up on the four wheeler and just looked for them. Right. And that's when we had more success. Uh, Not that we had great success. We caught some little ones. We caught Jack Carval. You know, it was, it was really fun. We had a couple good shots. I only really had one good shot at a big rooster fish, and uh, it's probably the moment that stands out the most in, in my fly fishing career so far because I was talking to some guy who was spin casting near me, and he's trying to catch the jacks, and so I wasn't even paying attention, and I look over, and that rooster fish is making a beeline for the shore, and uh, my buddies had left, and so it was just me, and... Uh, I make a good cast to the fish, and I'm throwing a game changer. I start swimming it in fast as I can, two-handed strip, and it flares up, you know, comb out of the water, and it's huge. At least to me, it looked so big, and it's charging right at me, and I'm, you know, ankle deep in the water, and uh, it's coming right at me. I'm stripping as fast as I can, and it still feels like he's just effortlessly going side to side and just kind of scoping the fly out, but he's got his comb up, and he's moving so fast I just couldn't believe it. I start running backwards up the sand as I'm stripping to try to get it to go faster. And, like, right before the fly hits the beach, he turns off and oh. goes away. And I just slam the rod into the ground and was, like, <laughs> screaming, like, oh, my God. <laughs> and the guy next to me who's spin casting was like, what's happening? 
But uh, <laughs> it it was crazy. I've never had an a, adrenaline dump like that. Yeah. From fly fishing, it oh, was pretty man. nuts. That's awesome. Is that? Would you recommend people do that on their own? Is that a hard trip to do DIY? It's probably hard to be successful. Uh, honestly, I mean, if you go there and you're a good caster and then you're just patient in one place and take the shots that you can get and throw the right fly, I mean, you definitely will have your chances. Right. Do like you, you think – I've always heard rooster fishing is better from the boat. It, would you – I would assume so. Yeah. I, yeah. Like even though they're on the – like so close to shore, it's still better on a boat? Well, usually they're they're able to then, you know, they put sardines in the water or whatever and chum them in and stuff like that. Gotcha. And well, I th- I'm not even talking about that. I'm saying, like, from a fly fishing perspective, maybe even, I mean, just like anything else, I guess from a boat, you're at an advantage. You can see better. You can chase fish. You can move around easier. Probably. But, I mean, it was really special to, like, you know, if you've seen the, the video running down the man or whatever yeah. and, you know, they're chasing the, the rooster fish. It was fun to do that. Because you take off, you see the fish, and you're sprinting way down, just way down to, the beach, trying to catch them. And that's awesome. Right at the beginning, when we got there, uh, my buddy jumped out, and he's like, "Dude, there's rooster fish everywhere. You know, there's fish everywhere." And he hops off, and he's sprinting, and he's chasing this pot of fish, and he doesn't quite know what they are, but he he go he runs for like half a mile to a mile, and by the end, he's just dead tired. Turns out it was a bunch of milkfish, and so there's no way it would have taken his fly, but you know, he sprinted the whole <laughs> length of the beach after those. So. Yeah. There no, was a lot great. going on. It was fun. Yeah. No, that's cool. Uh, and you guys just did you all throw game changers the whole time? I mean, we threw a lot of a lot of different things. I threw game changers for most of it, uh, and then they were throwing some clousers, you know, different uh, just bait, pat- fish yeah, bait fish patterns, pretty much. And we we did try for like trigger fish and stuff, and caught. We uh, hooked a few. I can't remember if we got any in, but. You know, plenty of little species in in the rocks and close to the shore that we were able to get. Yeah, that's cool. You've also done a tiger musky trip. Yes, and that, that was in New Mexico. Yes. Explain what a tiger musky is first. So a tiger musky is a hybrid, and uh, it's kind of like uh, a triploid carp. They're sterile. Uh, they're really interesting. Like uh, they kind of remind me of the striper in the Guadalupe River here, where they're they're. They're really weird, really different habits. Like these fish over at the Blue Water Lake where we were fishing for tiger muskie, they would have a false spawn every year. Mm-hmm. And they would go up the creek, and then they'd all just sit there. And you could throw a fly. You could, like, go out there and basically mess with them, and they wouldn't react. They are just doing their thing over there. Yeah. And so th- we were talking to the guys at the shops, and he's telling us all the crazy little things that, that would happen. You know, all of a sudden – all over the lake, all these fish are feeding on top water for five minutes, and then boom, it shuts off. Yeah, just cool things like that. So that that was a pretty crazy trip. We uh we went over spring break when we were both still in college, and uh, me and Robbie again, we decided just to up and drive over there to Blue Water Lake and go try to catch the tiger muskies. And we get over there, and within like the first the first day, actually the winds were blowing like forty miles an hour, and we couldn't really catch anything and so by the time in the evening it let off we were able to get like 30 minutes of casting in and within the first 10 minutes i had caught my first tiger muskie oh that's awesome it was pretty cool and uh big one uh 36 inches i think is what it was yeah and i'm i mean it didn't fight great or anything but still really just roll yeah just roll yeah real so what what do they do they just just roll instead of like running they just kind of 
they Sit they kind of they kind of yeah. It's more of a sideways okay uh, pulling on your action. They don't go on these long extended runs. Right. It's it's more like I don't know. People described it like an alligator or something like that, right. where it's just thrashing. Gotcha. But uh, but they're really cool. Very aggressive. Um, it was a it was a crazy trip. We uh we didn't realize that they lock the uh, the state park that we were staying in at night. And so if you you can leave and drive over those little spikes that pop up out of the ground, you know, they'll let you leave, but you can't the get back way. in. Yeah. yeah, the one-way ones. And so when we caught that tiger muskie, it was getting dark, and so we were like, oh, we got to go get cell service, tell our families we're still alive and that we've already caught a fish. You know, this is great. So we drive down the road, and we talk to our families, and by the time we get back, they've closed the gate and – uh one thing we noticed when we were in there is there's always like this heavily armed guard patrolling and he's got like body armor and a gun and everything. And so very intimidating looking. And, uh, so we get back to the gate we're like, Oh crap, we're, we're locked out. All our stuff is in there. Um, you know, it's not the best area. So we, you know, the people at the fly shop are like, y'all be careful. We're like, well crap. Now we're locked away from all our stuff. What are we going to do? Sleep in the truck right here. And we're like, actually, you know what? Uh, we got out and uh, tested the spikes, and it turns out if you stand on them, they flatten down. Yeah, you can. You have enough weight to hold them down. So we we're like, okay, that's what we'll do. So uh, we stood on the spikes <laughs> and drove over the spikes to get back into there. And uh, we get like thirty seconds up the road, and all of a sudden, boom! These lights come on, and uh, all these blue and red lights, and this truck comes racing up to us. And Robbie's immediately gripping the steering wheel like his life depends on it. And uh, he starts, he just puts his head against the steering wheel and he's like, oh crap, oh crap, you know, this is bad. I'm like, oh, I have no idea what's about to happen. And this guy, uh, the guard comes walking up. Robbie has his window rolled down. Before he can even say anything, Robbie goes, um, we drove over the spikes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he just puts his head against the steering wheel. And this guy almost lost it. He was like, like just about to, yeah, just, just about to crack up. And so I was like almost laughing. And when I saw that this guy thought it was funny, I could tell, you know, it was going to be okay. Be okay. Yeah. He'd seen us around and everything. So he was like, y'all just go to your campsite. I'll deal with y'all tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> the next that night we get over to the campsite actually. And Robbie's sitting in the tent. He's like, Chase, I don't know if we put the right amount of money in the thing up front to, you know, for us to stay here. He's like, I, I can't remember. We may have only, you know. So he's kind of like overthinking. He's overthinking it. Thing. He's yeah. like, Chase, I'm going to grab all the change we have in the car, sneak over there, and just put this loose change in the box. <laughs> and I was like, that's not going to do anything. They, they don't know. Connect it to yeah, you. They, it, there's, that's not going to do anything. And then you'll get caught sneaking across, you know, the whole place over there by him. Don't do that. And the next day, the, the guard went to the fly shop and apparently was like, uh, guys, y'all should have y'all should have seen that that tall, skinny kid's face when I came up to the window. He thought he was gonna die. <laughs> yeah, so that was quite the experience. That's great, though. Did y'all catch any more fish on that trip? Yeah, so uh, we fished after I caught that fish. Uh, we we kept fishing for another. I think it was like two or three days, and uh, Robbie was really trying to to catch his fish and just couldn't make it happen until the very last day we had brought this terrible John boat with us and we put it in the water and we fished, couldn't get anything, couldn't see fish. Robbie was like, you know, you catch one in the first 10 minutes. I haven't seen one this whole time. And then uh, towards the end of the day, he's like messing around with his fly and he's like, 
oh, look, it's a whopper plopper, and just, like, sticks the fly in the water and drags it across the surface, you know, right next to him, and this huge muskie just <laughs> tanks on it, and he's screaming, and the fly comes right out. He's uh-huh. like, are you kidding me? But in that 30-minute period, like, after that, just as it gets dark, he, he got one with, like, his last cast before we got to the, oh, to the nice. dock. It was super oh, nice. cool. But 30-minute window where they turned on. So yeah. why is that a fishery there? Because tiger muskie aren't, like, real fish. Yeah, no, you know? they uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were stocked there on purpose. It was overrun with goldfish, apparently. Okay. Oh, yeah. so they put the muskies? <laughs> yeah, so they put the muskies in there. And, and so oh, you said that tiger muskies cannot breed. Yes. So they are. What are they crossbred with? What's the crossbred? I think it's a, it's a muskie and a pike. Really? I think so. Okay. Hmm. Now, remind me, can tiger trout, can they breed? No. Okay. So it's that same and that's kinda, a brown trout and a brook trout. Yep, so it's the okay. same kind of system. Okay. Yeah. But apparently they said that you used to be able to see the orange glow from, like, satellite footage. That's what they said. Of, like, how many goldfish. Because there were so many goldfish in there. I wonder how many goldfish are left. They they had a whole video (laughs) that they put on YouTube where they were like, we think we spotted one goldfish (laughs) in the lake. (laughs) (laughs) That fish has got to be smart, too, man. Yeah, yeah. No, they got cleaned out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now is it, like, a popular, like, tiger muskie fishery? Are there, like, trout in the lake, too? Or There are, yeah. They, They put trout in there. Do they last long? I'm sure <laughs> that some of them do, but I think most of them get eaten pretty quickly. Yeah, and actually, yeah, we would watch. Yeah, the tiger muskie would sit right next to the shore and eat like these hordes of minnows that would come by. So you'd see like a, you know, a thirty-six inch fish rolling on inch-long minnows. Really, pretty cool. Just coming yeah. in, just taking oh, yeah. by the mouthful. Yep. Oh, that's great. What's your most memorable fish that you've caught on the fly? Um, let's see. Honestly, it was probably one of the first carp I caught because I uh, I had just I had just caught my first few that that first day and they were all small and then I went over to the Pedernales River and uh, with a, a fly that I had tied and I hooked an actual big carp and it ran all my line and a lot of my backing up a rapid into the pool above where I was. And I just couldn't believe a fish could do that. So <laughs> that definitely blew my mind. Mm. And uh, then I was definitely addicted to carp. Yeah. Still am. So Yeah, you know, you're a big, yeah. I, you catch carp all the time. Yes. Yeah. They were one of my favorites. You caught a big brown trout, didn't you? I did. Like a huge, like, it what was, most people would consider a lifetime fish. Really? Yeah, it was 25 inches wow, okay. uh, in the net. So it was that was pretty cool, How too. long was it out of the net? Uh, <laughs> well, we didn't we, we didn't lay it flat on anything to to measure it, but uh, yeah, no, that was really cool. It was on a game changer. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, it was. So, oh, and man. we were going down like some some white water rapids uh, when it happened. So it was it was really cool to be fighting that fish while uh, the guy who was taking the us. Boat. Well, no, the guy who was taking us was managing it, yeah. and so I was like, you know, getting thrown around and. Thinking this would be hard enough just sitting in the boat, much yeah. less fighting a fish. So. Oh man! But that was really neat. That's cool. Um, let's go back to fly tying a little bit because I think a lot a lot of our listeners would be interested. Uh, what? So okay, so I have a question. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Zach. What's the process like when you are either designing a new fly, or like what kind of gets you thinking? Like, ooh, I I really want to design a fly that kind of looks like this. You know? Yeah. Lots of times it's just uh, from being out on the water and fishing with something and being like, man, I really wish it did this or, or seeing how the fish react and being like, well, I, I bet they would prefer this or something like that. And right. then starting to d- 
develop a fly or a change to a fly from there. Because honestly, you know, the techniques are the same. It's just different little tweaks and little applications uh, that let you create something that's slightly new. And even then, you know, everything's been done before. So it's all, it's all just reapplying already known techniques in the best way possible. Maybe just put a little twist on it. Kind of like you said, depending on what you need out in the water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, What advice would you give to a beginner fly tire? Because um, it it's an overwhelming thing to get into. It yeah. is, yes. But I would say just finding something simple and learning the techniques. If you know the techniques, you can then tie like a ton of different flies. Yeah. Like it carries over to everything. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like yeah. I was like, most people's first flies a woolly bugger. Mm-hmm. And you learn, you know, you learn how to tie marabou on a hook. You learn how to wrap wire. You learn how to wrap hackle. You know, this is like, and then that applies, like just wrapping hackle applies to a game changer. Yeah. So that's like one step. If you're tying, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if you're tying feathered game changers, you know, that same technique applies that you learn how to tie in a woolly bugger. So it just yeah. like, and you pick a different fly, and then you learn two more techniques, and that just builds on each other. Yeah. And then eventually you get to the point where you can look at a fly and be like, oh, I can reverse engineer this and figure out how it's tied. Yeah, and early on, like, I remember I would make a new fly and think, oh, heck, yeah, this thing's great. You know, this is awesome. It's something new. And then you realize, you know, you look back, and you're like, it really isn't that great. Or it wasn't anything new, or it yeah. wasn't even, you know, it wasn't a great idea. It didn't work out as well as you thought. But – Trying those new things will let you, you know, branch out and start thinking about what's going on and, you know, how you can how you can improve on, on what you're doing. But, yeah, the biggest thing is, like, figuring out the different techniques. If you can learn how to do a dubbing loop and then you learn how to make your own little, you know, brush on the table and put it in a dubbing loop, spin that up and add it to a fly, there are so many things you can put in a dubbing loop and so many different combinations you know, there you could you could spend your whole lifetime just with that technique, just using that dubbing loop. Yeah, to, to make, there's yeah. all sorts of different things you can do. What are tell us about some of your other flies? You're most known, I would say, for your game changer. Your spiral spook is think is going to take fly fishing by storm. Personally, uh, yeah, I I agree definitely. Uh, if I was still at the Orva shop, I'd be like, we're going to be carrying these. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. hopefully we can get them. Hopefully, uh, you can time faster than game changers, though. Yeah, uh, they're definitely faster than game changers. <laughs> definitely, okay. I don't think there's anything that isn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So yeah, what else do you like to tie? Or your favorite fly? I, I love tying carp flies. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're they're super fun. You can crank them and out. they're five minutes. Yeah, yeah, really fast. Yeah, and that's probably where you make your money. That's definitely uh, my higher margin flies. Really? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Because you know, at first it would take a while, and now I've gotten so much muscle memory that. I can sit there, listen Not to an audio book, and next thing you know, there's two dozen Listen flies. to the Honey Hole Hangout podcast. There you go. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. 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 So, okay, yeah, so you try the one carp fly that has a little bit of foam. Yeah, it. that's the scarpion. The scarpion, okay. Yeah, yeah. One, I just wanted to... How did you get the idea for the foam for that? You know, I don't remember. It was it was one of the first flies that I came up with that I was, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty cool, you know, yeah. and it worked out really well. And uh, it does work out. It's a good fly. Yeah. So I actually started tying it with uh, ostrich wrapped around there instead of foam. And then later on, I realized I wanted to make sure the fly uh, sat upright every time, no matter what, even if it was lighter so that it could sink slowly, but still have the hook point up. Yeah. And then I was like, well, if I add a little foam somewhere and then tried to figure out where the best place was and 
found that a thin strip of foam wrapped around right there had a good contrasting look and you know did what I wanted it to do and so I mean lots of lots of when you're designing a fly that's what you're looking for you're like okay I need to add some foam where can I do that yeah and how can I do that where it looks good so what is your technique for uh, hooking carp that's probably the biggest thing that people struggle with is actually like not finding them not getting a fly in front of them but when they eat getting that hook set actually it's recognizing so, the eat. it's recognizing yeah. the eat and yeah. then you know, not missing it either because they spit it out just as quickly as they take it in. Yeah, a big part of carp fishing is actually just reading their body language and their behavior and saying, okay, I think that fish is eating the fly even though I can't see it. But no, I, I trout set, especially with uh, with flies that have the hook point up, which uh-huh. I don't fish a carp fly that, you know, has the hook point down. Everything has to be hook point up because it's going on the bottom. So, yeah, I just, uh, you know, if the fly is taking the hook, I lift the fly into the roof of the carp's mouth. Mm. So, and it, But it, it is pretty aggressive. I don't know if you, I posted a video of Odom the other day where we were on a carp float and he was drifting up on a carp and he thought he took and boom, he sets the hook and the fly comes out. But it's real aggressive because you're trying to, you know, pop it in there. But. Gotcha. Were you with him that trip where he caught the mirror carp? I wasn't. Gotcha. I wish I was. That was a beautiful fish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's. That's very fortunate. I, I've never caught a mirror <laughs> yeah. carp. I would love to catch one. Yeah. Well, uh, my first carp in Texas, uh, no, yeah, my first carp, well, I haven't caught a carp in any other state, so my first carp <laughs> was a mirror carp. Really? Yeah. So you probably yeah. didn't even know what you had? No, I knew what I had. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I knew what I had. Well, I say my first because I had caught some smallmouth buffalo before that, and I thought it was a carp, and I got ridiculed on social media for it. Yeah. So, uh my first, first actual carp. Man, beginner's luck is so true. Like that striper on the guad. That striper on the guad. You're still claiming it's a striper? I know it was a striper. Oh, okay. I know it was a striper. Okay. Picture? No picture. Because <laughs> <laughs> I caught it. It was like my first time ever fly fishing by myself. I caught it five minutes into my trip, and I'm thinking like, oh, if this is five minutes in, I'm going to catch like a million of these. Yeah. And so I didn't take a picture, and I caught a bunch of, you know, bluegill the rest of the day. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going to ask you a question that you would never say. Okay. You would never tell anyone. But I'm going to ask you because I've never asked you before now that we're recording. So someone came in the store one time that knows you very well. I can't remember his name. I think also from Kerrville. Visited the shop. And they said that you were a Mensa member. No, that is not true. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> okay. A no. Mensa member. Vince is the uh, the organization for like the people with IQs over like 160. Uh-huh. Yeah, you wouldn't know. What that is. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just take Georgia and they're like, no, don't even send any advertisements <laughs> there. Yeah, I don't know who told me that, but I was like, you know, I always thought, oh, it it, it makes sense. Like he's so smart and like the way he tied, like just applying it to fly tying, like. <laughs> He's the top 1% of fly tires. If like, anybody is a Mensa member yeah. in the fly I, I fishing think, yeah. I think just the fact that I'm tying flies kind of rules me out. Of that, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> no, I was good. I had good grades in school and 4.0s, and I, I was uh, one of the valedictorian candidates at, at my college. So, I mean, I, I like school, so. Yeah, and you're also a, you were a college soccer player? Yes. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yep. Yeah, played for Shriner. Enjoyed that. Still play every week. Yeah? Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. What's your uh, position? W- wide mid and forward. Okay. Yeah, yeah super fun. But it, it fishing is kind of eaten into my soccer time. So. Yeah. 
yeah, I think it's eaten into most of our other hobbies for sure. or sports time. You got a team you follow now? Uh, Manchester United. Yep. Okay. Well, so they just they uh, yeah they just signed uh, Ronaldo, right? Yeah, a couple yeah. months ago. Yeah, they kind of suck right now, but that's okay. Yeah. Cool. Chase, is there anything? I just have a blank stare right now. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm a Tottenham fan myself. So. Oh, okay. My condolences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Tech hired, if we can move it to football, uh, <laughs> Tech hired a new head football coach, and we're pretty excited about it. I'm really excited. He's a good guy. People are happy about it. Yeah. I think, I saw someone said that if, uh, uh, I saw someone on Facebook that said, if the Texas Tech head football coach hire doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. And I was like, yeah, I think everyone's <laughs> excited. There's not any. There's not anybody that's not excited no, about it. No, after the last one where I'm like, anything could be more exciting than that. So. Yeah. Who'd yeah. they hire? Nick Saban? No. No. That's it's, not in our budget. It's a guy named Joey McGuire. He's like uh, a known – he was a high school coach. He took him to state four years, like every other year for four years. Or for eight years, every other year. <laughs> well, he, he, won he, four, he won four state championships in like eight years. Um, but apparently he's just a really nice guy. Gotcha. Yeah. Chase, is there anything else? Where where can people find yes. – people can find you. Uh, your Instagram is Fish Chase Flies. It is, yeah. It's super easy to remember. It's the best name for a business <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, uh, some people, uh, they'll come up to me after years of knowing and be like, I just realized why that's the name of your – your company to be honest i've known that's your name of the company for a while and tonight's the first time i actually like put it together of like really oh, wow, oh really, really? <laughs> yes i did it within like the first five minutes of meeting him no i know but i just that's never why he's a member of that's why he's a member i didn't even know what Mensa was. <laughs> that's a secret of mensa it, yeah it must have uh got lost in the mail <laughs> Uh, where can people buy your flies? I, I have a website, fishchaseflies.com, so just as easy to remember. And then, uh, I mean, the Orvis stores in San Antonio, Austin, uh, Dallas, uh, Living Waters Fly Shop. And so you can buy them locally? And yeah, you, you can, can go them. to the fly shops. and. I will say support your local fly shop, but if you buy on Chase's website, he makes more money per fly. So That is true. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's definitely better for me, but I also I like sending batches of flies to shops. To shop. It's it's fun to to well, get the feedback from that as really? well. Yeah, yes. it's also good to get fly recognition out there. Oh yeah, yeah, fly for sure. and for sure. I know you know whether it was Matt Bennett's flies, yours, Wes's flies, mm -hmm. whatever local tire we carried in the shop, be like, oh my buddy up in Kerrville ties these, you yeah. know, oh but they're twenty dollars. I'm like, but they're locally tied. You know, and they, yeah, and they never people, fall apart. They never <laughs> fall apart, and you know, you're supporting a local guy. And this guy spent an hour tying this fly. Yeah. So it my makes my sense. favorite thing is doing tying events and getting to talk people through the entire process, and then at the end, they're like, "You should be charging more for that fly because we've been here for two hours." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember one of the first times I ever came to watch an event at Orvis was when you were tying the game changer. Really? Yeah. And then I think a couple of months later, you tied the scorpion up. But uh, we were both at the fly fishing and brew festival and we had time or said that we wanted to get together and record up there a little bit but he had someone at his booth the entire time really he did not get up at all yeah are you going back this year i i'm trying to yeah yeah 
Yeah. We'll be there, and yeah, we'll be we'll at Trout there. Fest too. Okay. Well, maybe I'll come tie in your booth. Yes, yeah, come tie in our booth. It. That would be, be like old times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, seriously, come tie in our booth. We'll we have an outside booth, so hopefully that'll work out. But if it's not windy, I'll tie yeah. in your booth. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Now we got to put parameters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, Fly Fishing Brew Festival should be inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can tie our booth there, too. Brew okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Um, fishchaseflies.com. Go buy some flies. What are your lead times? So, for the Game Changers, it's definitely longer. Uh, I think I'm like four to six weeks out right now. Have on you those. ever been ahead on Game Changers? I think there's once or twice where like I've, where you've had an inventory where you could like just pull and once put or it in twice, a box. but honestly, like if I take a picture of flies I have on hand and put them on Instagram, they're gone. They are all gone. Yeah, yeah, right away. So now I don't even like if I have extra flies, I don't even say anything, just and then I just them. yeah, I just <laughs> fill, fill, fill them into order. orders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. but uh, no, four to six weeks on those, and then one to two weeks on everything else. For everything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so, if someone orders, uh, like say. You're four weeks behind on Game Changers, but then say they order some of these uh, spiral spooks, yeah, which takes you less time. Do you send out the spiral spooks before the Game Changers, or is it I'll, all I'll talk order? to the customer and just say, hey, if if you want, I can ship these out separately. But uh, you know, the I Game Changers going to take for shipping. <laughs> yeah, I would, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I would too. No, but usually people are like, no, just wait till everything's together and then just send it. Ones. So. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, you people usually are reasonable. Oh, yeah. I've had very little issues. The fly fishing community is awesome. Has anybody yeah. ever returned one of your flies? No. Actually, I did have a guy. <laughs> uh, I think he – actually, he went – he was in Germany. I shipped it to him here in the U.S., then he went to Germany, and then he measured the fly and said it was a half inch shorter than what I had said it was on my website. He was like, this is a – on your website it says six inches, and this is just over five and a half inches. And I was like, well, you know, there's a margin for error with natural materials. It's a feather game changer. You know, there's all these factors. And he was like, oh, no, I want my money back. I was like, I'll just send you another fly that's six inches long. And, you know, so you ship it to Germany? I shipped it to a friend in the U.S. I was like, I'm not shipping it to right. Germany. You for should have told him since you're in Germany now, it's six centimeters and actually you have more flies. Yeah, than yeah. Then, so you're good. Yeah, you should have made him pay. You should have so made did him. you go into like your stash and like, with the ruler and just make sure it was six inches. After that, I updated my website and put there there will be a slight variation, like margin for error. Yeah, there's a margin, margin for error yeah. because of you know how they're made. I so. can't believe so. <laughs> there's a sign for everything for yeah. a reason, you know. Yeah. I wonder if he gets mad at Apple then when he buys like a 64 gig iPhone and it comes out to be like 61. 62 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I Take paid for up. 64 gigs. Yeah. 64 gigs of MySpace. Yeah. You should have made them ship it. Here's here's the move. Make them sh- return ship them. They have to pay for return shipping, and you'll give a refund. Then you get your fly back, and they had to eat $10 in shipping out of their $16, $20 cost for fly. That's probably never going to happen again. I tried to do that, but he, he kind of threw a stink about it, and I was like, I would rather have this person happy with the flies that he wanted than well, yeah, it sounds than like he's raising make- some crap for your yeah. business too. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, at that point, you're just like, you know, it's not worth my time to really, really fight yeah. with this guy about it. Yeah. Send it out and be You're like, nice, Chase. It's yeah. Sometimes yeah. too nice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I hope he listens to this. You know who you are. <laughs> Germany guy. <laughs> we do have a, we have one German listener. There he is. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> no, but I, I agree. Uh, as someone who like orders stuff from like small businesses online, 
I think as long as you communicate with the customer and they're receptive of stuff, then most people are pretty legit and understanding. Yeah, that's what I like to do. I like to kind of get ahead of things. Like if I run into it, there's been times I've ran out of material and there's a backlog and I'll just immediately email people and be like, hey, you know, I've had a delay. If you want your money back, you can. Otherwise, you know, this is the thing and everyone's just, you know, always very accommodating. Like get it to me when you can. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm running into that issue right now. I ordered some specialty coffee for hunting season Uh as I normally do. And hunting season's already here. And it's already here. I ordered it before October. This company is supposedly roasting in Bernie, and I still have not received. Why don't you just go up to Bernie and get it? I've, really, I've tried that. What have they? What is there? What have they said? Uh, the last thing I heard. They ran from, out of coffee beans. I mean, the last time I heard from him, he was out of town, and he said, "I'm coming back tonight. I'll ship it out first thing in the morning or deliver it." Like that's how close it is, and I've not received it, and that was well over two weeks ago. Dang. He just wants your money, dude. Yeah, I'm about to. I sent him another follow-up email today. I was like, hey, what's the status on this? I'd really like to get it sometime soon. <laughs> what kind of special coffee, specialty coffee did you order? I don't want to put them on blast. No, no, no. Don't, don't, you don't have to put them on blast. No, it's just a normal, just locally roasted coffee, but it has a cool it's name. It's not like a whiskey-infused coffee or no, like wasn't. we had with the— It also, wasn't then. Also, uh, though, the thing is that there's like a million roasters in San Antonio. Why don't you just go buy a bag? Because what I do is I reach out to my hunting groups, and I let a certain person pick them. Oh. And then I buy the coffee normally about— two to three bags to take us all the way through hunting season. Gotcha. You a coffee drinker, Chase? Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll how drink. do you make coffee in the morning? Uh, actually, I make a, with a French press. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I did a French press a little bit. I do a Chemex now. Real fancy. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I just use a percolator or an old school coffee pot. Yeah. It works. Chemex looks like a beaker. Hmm. It's fun. Oh, it looks the really, pour over? Yeah, it looks real pretty. Why don't you just say pour over? Because it's called a Chemex. It's different than a pour over. No, it's a pour over. <laughs> it's just a brand of a pour over. No, it's called a Chemex. Your pretentious side is showing. <laughs> that. I told, I, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not arguing with that. I'm a fancy man with fancy likes. Fancy coffee, fancy whiskey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Chase, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, of we course. Appreciate it. We've been meaning to do this like, like since episode twenty, and this is going to be like episode seventy. Yeah. It's been over a year. So thank you for coming on. And we're looking forward to seeing you at all the events and everything. And I'm going to buy some spiral spooks from you before you leave. Okay. I got plenty. (laughs) I was going to say, if you have extra, I would like to. Yeah, I have a bunch of them. (laughs) And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you all. Bye.